The title of this message, I'm Jim Brown, your Bible teacher at Grace and Truth. The title of this message is Why the Puritans Outlawed Christmas and Easter 300 Years Ago in America. And St. Nicholas is a dead Roman Catholic bishop of the 4th century. I'm going to talk about St. Nicholas and I'm going to talk about why the Puritans outlawed Christmas. I got this from Jean Lavier in Houston, and uh, it was a public notice from 1659 in Boston forbidding the celebration of Christmas. The banning of Easter in England in June 1647, the Parliament officially declared the end to Easter and all other Christian holidays. I wouldn't call them Christian. I'd call them Roman Catholic unholy days. The primary reason behind the law was to eliminate all traces of Roman Catholicism in in England. And then this is the public notice. Public notice. The um, the observe it's got it's got early English words on it. I believe it says the the observation of Christmas having been deemed a sacrilege, the exchanging of gifts and greetings, dressing in fine clothing. I uh, can't read that. Something in similar satanical practices are hereby forbidden with the offender liable to a fine of five shillings. And that was in England. And it became outlawed by the Puritans in America. Now, I'm going to read something to you about Santa Claus that I read every year. I believe it was written by a scientist. Uh, I like reading it. It's one of the funniest things I've read. This is, is there a Santa Claus? And it had to be a scientist that wrote this. As a result of an overwhelming lack of request, and with the research help from that renowned scientific journal, Spy Magazine, January 1990, I am pleased to present the annual scientific inquiry into Santa Claus. Number one, no known species of reindeer can fly, but there are 300,000 species of living organisms yet to be classified. And while most of these are insects and germs, this does not completely root out flying reindeer, which only Santa has ever seen. There are two billion children, persons under eight in the world, but since Santa doesn't appear to handle Muslim, Hindu, Jewish, and Buddhist children, that reduces the workload to 15% of the total 378 million, according to the Population Reference Bureau. At an average census rate of three and a half children, Per household, that's 91.8 million homes. One presumes there's at least one good child in each. Santa has 31 hours of Christmas to work with, thanks to the different time zones and rotation of the earth. Assuming he 
travels east to west, which seems logical. This works out to be 822.6 visits per second. (laughs) That's funny. 822.6 visits per second. This is to say that for each Christian household with good children, Santa has one one thousandth of a second to park, hop out of his sleigh, jump down the chimney, fill the stockings, distribute the remaining presents under the tree, eat whatever snacks has been left, get back up the chimney, get back in the sleigh, and move on to the next house. He has one 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 thousandth of a second to do that. Assuming that each of the 91.8 million stops are evenly distributed around the earth, which of course we know to be false, but for the purpose of calculation we will accept, we are now talking about 0.78 miles per household, a total trip of 75 and one-half million miles. This is all for Santa Claus to do. Not counting stops to do what most of us do at least once every 31 hours, plus feeding, etc., This means that Santa's sleigh is moving at 650 miles (laughs) miles per second. 3,000 times the speed of sound. For purposes of comparison, the fastest man-made vehicle on Earth, the Ulysses space probe, moves at a pokey 27.4 miles per second. A conventional reindeer can run tops 15 miles per hour. The payload on the sleigh adds another interesting element. Assuming that each child gets nothing more than a medium-sized Lego set, two pounds, the sleigh is (laughs) the sleigh is carrying 321,300 tons. Not counting Santa who is invariably described as overweight. On land, conventional reindeer can pull no more than 300 pounds. Even granting that flying reindeer, see point number one, could pull 10 times the normal amount, we cannot do the job with eight or even nine. (laughs) We need 214,200 reindeer. This increases the payload, not even counting the weight of the sleigh, to 353,430 tons. Again, for comparison, this is four times the weight of the Queen Elizabeth ship. Number five, 353,000 tons traveling at 650 miles per second creates... Enormous air resistance. This will heat the reindeer up in the same fashion as spacecrafts re-entering the Earth's atmosphere. The lead pair of reindeer will absorb 14.3 quintillion joules of energy per second. Each, in short, they will burst into flame, <laughs> into flame almost instantaneously, exposing the reindeer behind them and create deafening sonic booms in their wake. I like this. 
the entire reindeer team will vaporize within 4.26 thousandths of a second. Santa, meanwhile, will be subject to centrifugal forces of 17,500.06 times greater than the gravity. A 250-pound Santa, which seems ludicrously slim, would be pinned to the back of his sleigh by 4,315,015 pounds of force. Now that's <laughs> that's a very conservative Santa Claus. Now I'm going to talk to you about St. Nicholas. St. Nicholas comes, he's a Roman Catholic bishop of the 4th century. He's called the Bishop of Myra because he was, he was, Myra was in southern what we call Turkey. So he was a bishop. I've got a picture of St. Nicholas here. This is an artist's rendition of him. Right here. I want you to put this on the board up there. That's St. Nicholas. He's got the halo around his head. He's got Roman Catholic vestments. He's got the cross with Christ on it. That's a crucifix. That's Roman Catholicism. And that, like I said, he's got the tonsure. That's where his head is shaved on top. That is to depict the sun. Now, I've got to read to you. This is out of McClintock and Strong Encyclopedia. Anybody can look this up. This is, I'm trying to tell you the truth about Santa Claus. Santa Claus, before he came to America in Holland, he was called Center, S-I-N-T-E-R, Klaus, K-L-A-U-S, Center Klaus, and he was St. Nicholas of the 4th century. He was a Roman Catholic bishop. I was watching John MacArthur's story about Christmas, and he was talking about Santa Claus. John MacArthur does Christmas. I really just am disappointed with the man. He said that that Santa Claus was an was a fantasy of people's imagination. I'm sorry, John. He wasn't a fantasy. He was a real man. He said it's a harmless myth, and he said you can find value in the traditions that have come around through the traditions of Santa Claus. You can't find any value at all in it, John. Santa Claus is St. Nicholas. He came through Holland as Santa Claus and came into America. We haven't been celebrating Santa Claus until about the, the year 1900. And he says that it's a delightful fantasy and it's a bizarre fantasy. I don't know why John MacArthur, he knows that Christmas comes out of pagan rituals and he just goes along with it. Let me read. I'm going to redo a lot of reading to you tonight. I'm going to read to you out of McClinic and Strong about Santa Claus or St. Nicholas. St. Nicholas of Myra, a highly popular saint of the Roman Catholic Church, especially in Italy and, and reverenced still with greater devotion by the Eastern Church. He was one of the early bishops of Myra in Lycia. Now, I'm going to tell you some of the most ridiculous things that they have said about him. I'm going to read it to you. It says here that the stories of St. Nicholas are numberless 
and many of them have even been treated in art according to the legends, Nicholas was born of illustrious Christian parents when they were when they have been many years married without having children. Their home was in Panthera, a city of Lycia in Asia Minor. The very now listen to this. This is the garbage that they painted about this person. The very day of his birth, this wonderful child rose in his bath. The day he was born, rose in his bath, and joining his hands like this, praised God that he had been brought into the world. And from that same day, from the day he was born, he would only take the breast on Wednesday and Friday, thus knowing how to fast from the time that he knew hunger. That is a bunch of hogwash. We're talking about St. Nicholas or Santa Claus. On the voyage of a sailor, on a on the voyage a sailor fell overboard and was drowned. But St. Nicholas recovered him and restored him to life. It's said that St. Nicholas had the power of resurrection. He was he had all the attributes of Christ. He was omniscient, he was all knowing, omnipotent, all powerful, and he was omnipresent. He was everywhere at one time. That's why he knows when you're sleeping, he knows when you're awake, he knows when you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. The stories they painted about this guy are crazy. Let me continue reading. When a storm arose, this fellow went overboard and drowned. And when the storm arose and they were about to perish, the sailors fell at his feet and implored St. Nicholas to save them. And as he prayed, the storm stopped. It's only Jesus that said, peace, be still. See, he's supposed to be like Jesus. They prayed, and when they prayed, St. Nicholas would answer. Listen to this. After his return from Palestine, Nicholas dwelt in the city of Myra, where he lived unknown in great humility. At length, the bishop of Myra died, and a revelation was made to the clergy, the clergy of the Roman Catholic Church there, to the effect that the first man who would come to church the next morning was to be the man whom God had chosen for their bishop. And when Nicholas came early to church to pray as it was his custom, the clergy led him into church and consecrated him as the new bishop of Myra. Many acts of such wonderful import are told of him. You believe this stuff? It's garbage. This is who Santa Claus originally was. Many acts of such wonderful import are told of him that they may well be believed by the, to be the inspiration of an enthusiastic mind. That's what it is, an enthusiastic mind. At one time, Constantine sent certain tribunes to put down a rebellion in Phrygia. On their journey, they stopped at Myra, and Nicholas invited them to his table. As they were to take their seats, he heard that the prefect or the ruler of that area was about to ex- execute 
three innocent men. This will show you that St. Nicholas had the power to cause men to repent. Listen to this. And the people were greatly moved thereat. Then Nicholas hastened to the place of execution, followed by his guests. And when he arrived, the men were already kneeling, wait to have their head cut off, with their eyes bound, and the execution was ready with the sword. St. Nicholas seized the sword and commanded the man to be released. Can you believe that? This is garbage, trash. The tribunes looked on on in wonder, but no one dared resist the good bishop. St. Nicholas. Even the prefect sought the saint's pardon, which was granted after much hesitation. In Phrygia, that's just in the bottom of Turkey, their enemies poisoned the mind of Constantine against them, so that when they were returned to Constantinople, he accused them of treason and threw them into prison, ordering their execution the next day. Then these tribunes called upon St. Nicholas. He wasn't even there. They're praying to him and prayed to him to deliver them. So here we are. He's answering prayers of the so-called saints. That same night, he appeared to Constantine in a dream. Sounds like when Abraham was in Egypt and God appeared to the king of Egypt in a dream said don't touch Abraham well this is what St. Nicholas is doing the same night St. Nicholas appeared to Constantine in a dream and commanded him to release those whom he had imprisoned and threatened him with God's wrath if he obeyed not now Constantine had written letters of gold and bound in covers set in pearls and rare jewels. That sounds like the Roman Catholic Church. We don't need that kind of thing. Also, certain sailors who were in danger of shipwreck on the Aegean Sea called upon Jesus to deliver them for the sake of St. Nicholas, and immediately the saint appeared unto them, saying, Lo, here am I, my sons. St. Nicholas pretends to have the character of God. The sea became calm. He, he calmed the sea. The sea became calm, and he took them into the safe harbor. Hence, those who are in peril invoke this saint and seek aid from St. Nicholas. And then he goes on to say, These are told that have performed while yet alive. Thus we are told, for example, that a man who greatly desired to have a son made a vow that if this wish could be realized, the first time he took his child to church, he would give a cup of gold. Notice they want to put gold in these things and precious pearls and and rubies to the altar of St. Nicholas. The son was granted, and the father ordered a cup to be made, but when it is finished, it was so beautiful that he decided to keep it for himself. For it is his own use, 
and had another less valuable made for St. Nicholas. God's going to punish him for that. At length, he went on the journey to accomplish his vow, and while on the way, he ordered the little child to bring him water in a cup, which he had taken for himself. Now listen to this. This is ridiculous. In obeying his father, the boy fell in the water and drowned. Then the father sorely repented of his covetousness and repaired the church of St. Nicholas and offered the second cup. But when it was placed upon the altar, it fell off and rolled on the ground. And this it did second and third time that the cup fell off of itself. This is the imagination of St. Nicholas. It's easier to believe that reindeers fly than all of this stuff. And while all looked on amazed, behold, the drowned child stood on the steps of the altar with a beautiful gold cup in his hand. All of a sudden, he's raised from the dead. What other thing that St. Nicholas did? It was said that these three young men were killed and cut up into pieces and put in a pickle barrel. I don't know why a pickle barrel. And that St. Nicholas heard about it, and he came to the pickle barrel and pronounced them alive and raised them from the dead. And I guess all the parts of their body came together. They were chopped up in pieces. That's the idiocy of St. Nicholas. It's idiocy. Again, a Jew of Calabria, having heard of all the wonderful deeds of St. Nicholas, stole his image from a church and set it up in his own house. Whenever he left his house, he put the care of his goods in the hands of the saint and threatened that if anything should befall them in his absence, he would chastise the saint on his return. One day the robbers came and stole his treasures. Then the Jew beat the image and cut it also. That night, St. Nicholas appeared to the robbers all wounded and bleeding and commanded them to restore what they had stolen. And they, being afraid at the vision, did as he had had them. Then the Jew was converted to his miracle and was baptized in water. Y'all realize how ridiculous... Santa Claus or St. Nicholas is. And it goes on and says many more things. One day he filled the king's cup, remembering that it was St. Nicholas' day. He wept. This is a young boy. Then the king demanded the cause of his grief. And when the young man told him, he answered, Great is thy St. Nicholas. He cannot save thee from my hand. This is the king saying to this boy. Instantly the palace was shaken with a whirlwind. Do I believe that? I believe, if I believe this garbage about St. Nicholas, then you could believe I'm a Chinese astronaut, okay? It's just trash. And that's where he comes from. A dead, 4th century Roman Catholic bishop. Now why? Why did the Puritans outlaw Christmas? What happened? There was something called the Inquisition. I'm going to read you a little of that. The Inquisition. Not a G, a Q. N-Q-U-I-S-I-T-I-O-N. 
There are several inquisitions. There was the there was the Roman Inquisition. Roman Inquisition. There was the Episcopal Inquisition. Episcopal doesn't mean the Episcopal Church. What it means, Episcopi Scopeo. Episcopeo is the word for bishop in the Greek. So that would be the Pope's Inquisition. The Pope. And then they had the Medieval Inquisition. Medieval Inquisition. Excuse me, an A Inquisition. The Medieval Inquisition. And they had the Spanish Inquisition. These Inquisitions started in the neighborhood of 1134 up to 1843, somewhere in that neighborhood. They they started and they slaughtered and butchered people. I'm going to read to you something about inquisitions and what they are. They make them sound pretty on the Internet, but they're not. That's where they slaughtered and butchered people that were Christians. The Roman Catholic Church did that. If you find out, and I'm going to read something to you tonight, I'm going to do most of the reading tonight. The medieval inquisition was a series of inquisitions. Catholic church bodies charged with suppressing heresy. What they said was heresy. Now the Puritans, if you read any of the Puritans, most of the Puritans had some form of predestination. No free will. No free will. And no mass. The mass is Roman Catholic. It's eating human flesh. I'm going to say it again. When they raise the Eucharist up, a Roman Catholic, they do this in the Roman Catholic churches. And you may have, if you're in New York, Brooklyn, Queens, Staten Island, Manhattan, and they have a Catholic church on the corner, they may have five of these masses a day. That's where they raise this Eucharist up in the air like the sun rising. Raise it up. And they, the Eucharist, they say, within the Eucharist is the body and blood of Christ. And it's a, it's a unbloody sacrifice. Jesus is called in the Inquisition the, the very presence of God. They say He's in that. They actually worshipped this Eucharist. If you've got the book, uh, 50 Years in the Church of Rome, uh, this was by Father Chenequi. He came out of the Catholic Church after being 50 years in it, and he said they actually worship the cookie god. They worship it. If you saw the movie, uh, uh, the mafia movie, Godfather. Uh, Godfather. Godfather 3, when they were marching through the town, 
going to somewhere they had a they had a platform with a Eucharist on it and they were worshiping the Eucharist as they're going through the town and all of the men had these tall white pointed hats and white sheets and the clan comes out of the same thing as Christmas comes out of now let me read something to you about these about these uh, inquisitions the medieval inquisition was a series of inquisitions Catholic bodies charged with suppressing heresy they considered anybody who would not partake of the sacrament of the mass a heretic heretic is a Greek word heretikos H-A-I-R T-I-K-O-S Hertikos comes from the word haromai, H-A-I-R-O-M-A-I, which is the word heresy. It means to choose for oneself. What, what, what heresy is, it means free will. That's what heresy means. It means to choose for yourself. Then it goes on here. From 1184, I got that wrong. 1184, this is the Episcopal Inquisition. From 1184 to 1230s. 1184. They started before that to 1230. That was just the Episcopal Inquisition. The Medieval Inquisition was established in response to movements considered apostate or heretical to Roman Catholicism, and particular Catharism and Waldensinians. I've mentioned Cathars and Waldenses. These were families in Europe and in England. The Cathars, the Albigenses, the Cathars, Waldenses the Albigenses A-L-B-A-G-U-A-N-C-E-S the Albigenses and the Huguenots these people multiplied so tremendously that they ended up being millions of them and they were living in France, which is a Roman Catholic country, uh, particularly the Waldenses, and the Cathars are living in France and Italy, and those are Roman Catholic countries. They would send out a representative of the Roman Catholic Church, go into a town and tell the people, you have to, you have to renounce your beliefs and your Protestantism and your Baptist or whatever uh, Protestants it was, you have to renounce that. If you renounce it and partake of the sacrament of the Mass, then you will live and will let you keep your house and your family, but if you don't, you die. That's what the Catholic Church told them. The Cathars were first noted in 1140s in southern France, and the Waldensinians around 1170 in northern Italy. The Cathars were the first mass organization 
of the second millennium that posed a serious threat to the authority of the church. I've got a lot of things on this. I can't read it all. I'll read some. An inquisition was a process that developed to investigate alleged instances of crime. Its use in ecclesiastical courts was not at first directed to matters of heresy. French historian Jean-Baptiste Garod from 1866 to 1953 defined medieval inquisition as a system of repressive means some of temporal used by ecclesiastical and civil authorities to protect religious orthodoxy what they called orthodoxy orthos means straight and doxa teaching means straight teaching and that was everything but straight teaching threatened by theological and social doctrines of heresy. There are many different types of inquisitions depending on the location and the methods. I'm going to read something to you about the inquisition. The Episcopal inquisitions, the common people tend to view heretics as antisocial menace. Pope Gregory VII excommunicated the residents of Gambrai because a mob had seized and burned a Cathar determined by the bishop to have been a heretic. And it goes on, the Legantine Inquisitions, the Cathar Inquisitions were a group of dissidents, mostly in southern France, in cities like Toulouse, the sect probably in the 12th century. And then talks about the Albigensians crusade defeated resulted in the defeat of Cathars militarily after this the inquisition played an important role in finally destroying Catharism I can't read all of it it's just too much talks about Joan of Arc she was caught in the inquisition the estimates let me give you this how many were killed by the inquisition This is by Roman Catholic figures, not by the figures of conservative Bible believers. Here's what they said. Estimates of the number killed by the Spanish Inquisition, which Pope Sixtus IV authorized in a papal bull in 1478, have ranged from 30,000 to 300,000. They can't even get close. They say 30,000 to 300,000. The best conservative historians say it was between 50 and 100 million were killed in these inquisitions. That's why they came to America and outlawed it. Catholic historian Vergernius admits gleefully, he admits gleefully that during the pontificate of Pope Paul IV, 1555 to 1559 the inquisition alone by torture starvation or fire murdered more than 150,000 Protestants probably a lot more than that then let me see here they asked the question was there on the internet was there any Protestant inquisitions no there was none of that because they were the ones that were protesting then, why did the Catholic Church start the Inquisition? 
The Inquisition was a powerful office set up within the Catholic Church to root out and punish heresy throughout Europe and the Americas, beginning in the 12th century and continuing for hundreds of years. The Inquisition is famous for the severity of its tortures and its persecution of Jews, Muslims, and Christians. The Inquisition. Why did the Spanish Inquisition happen? The institution of the Spanish Inquisition was ostensibly established to combat heresy. Let me see here what else I can read to you. How many Protestants did Henry VIII kill while he was still a Roman Catholic? It is estimated that during his 36 years of rule over England, Henry VIII executed up to 57,000 people, many of whom were either members of the clergy or ordinary citizens and nobles who had taken part in uprising and protest down the country. How did the Jesuits combat Reformation? Who were the Jesuits and how did they help? The Jesuits were an order. I've done much study on this. The Dominican order started the Inquisition through one of their leaders. He was a he was a cardinal. His name was Dokimata. And he, they started it, and the Jesuits were the enforcers of the Inquisition. When they would send their they would send one of their what they call inquisitor general out to a village they would torture people right and left in that village maybe hundreds of people in the village if they would tell them you have to recant your protestantism and partake of the sacrament of the mass in front of us and most of them would deny it in rome the society of jesus which is the jesuits a Roman Catholic missionary organization receives its charter from Pope Paul III. The Jesuit order played an important role in the Counter-Reformation. The Reformation began with Martin Luther when he left the Catholic Church, nailed his 95 Thesis on the door of Wittenberg, Germany, and was, was complaining about the Catholic Church's laws and rules, and particularly these indulgences. This is why Martin Luther, the main reason, indulgences. The indulgences where you could go to a priest on Monday and pay him for a sin that you're going to commit on Friday, the following Friday. And they did that in order to build St. Peter's Basilica there in Rome. That is that big edifice there. That's the devil's workshop is what it is. And they did that to build St. Peter's Basilica. But you could pay if you knew there's going to be a certain woman in a certain pub or club, or what we call it, and she's going to be there. She went there every night, and you knew you was going to go there on Friday. You knew you was going to try to put the make on her. You could pay for that on Monday for that transgression of the law that you're going to commit on Friday night. That was called an indulgence. And that's why, that's one of the reasons Martin Luther pulled out of the Catholic Church and said, I don't like this. Besides that, Martin Luther believed in predestination. He said, free will is a downright lie. He said that in his book. 
uh, I can't even think of the name of his book. Bondage of the Will. Says that on a page in Bondage of the Will. Now, I'm going to have to get on with this because I've got to get on. I've got so many questions and answers to this. What did the Walden Sins believe? Walden Sins condemned the Catholic clergy for being unworthy of holding religious office. They also insisted on literal interpretations of the Bible and the right to read the Bible for oneself. They were pacifists and did not swear. So the Roman Catholics say we've got to stop them. The Portuguese Inquisition, officially known as the General Council of the Holy Office of the Inquisition in Portugal, was formally established in Portugal in 1536 at the request of its king, John III. How many popes have been Jesuits? Fifty-one popes, the Jesuits, were the leaders. Uh, they were the enforcers of the Inquisitions. Fifty-one popes and six anti-popes have been members of the religious order. Only one of these has been a, been a Jesuit. The present one, Pope Francis, is a Jesuit. Who did the Spanish Inquisition target? Originally, the Inquisition was to ensure those who had converted to Catholicism from Judaism and Islam and Christianity had done so properly. What killed, who killed the Waldensians? The Waldenses. Who killed them? The movement, an early precursor of the Protestant Reformation in the 16th century, was branded as a heretical and in 1487, Pope Innocent VIII ordered its extermination. Some 1,700 Waldensians were killed in 1655 by Catholic by Catholic forces commanded by the Duke of Savoy. That's all I'm going to read on that. Now, what I'm going to do, I'm going to read to you out of Fox's Book of Martyrs. Seems like when I tell people about these books, very few of them get the books and read them. Fox's Book of Martyrs. I gave my neighbor, Holly, this book. She said, I couldn't read through it. It's too bloody and too gruesome. I want to read some of it to you. It's not something, it's not pleasant. It's very, very hard. In the front of it, I made some copies of some pages. In the front, it's called All About the Disciples and the Apostles Who Died at the Hands of Opposition, How They Were Slaughtered. All right. I'm going to read to you some of these things so you can understand just how serious this was. This is why the Puritans outlawed Christmas. All right. The officers of the Inquisition preceded by trumpets, kettle drums, and their banner. They marched into town that way. They marched on the 30th of May, 
in cavalcade to the palace of the great square where they declared by proclamation that on the 30th of June the sentence of the prisoners would be put in execution. Among them was where were to suffer was a young Jewish of exquisite beauty but 17 years of age. Being on the same side of the scaffold where the queen was seated, she addressed her in hopes of obtaining a pardon at 17 years old. Beautiful young girl. In the following pathetic speech, Great Queen, will not your royal presence be of some service to me in my miserable condition? Have regard to my youth. And oh, consider that I am about to die for professing a religion in Bible from my earliest infancy. Her majesty seemed greatly to pity her distress, but turned away her eyes as she did not dare to speak a word in behalf of a person who had been declared a heretic. Now mass began. Raising the Eucharist up, they had mass out here on the on the location of these butchering, slaughtering things. Mass began in the midst of which the priest came from the altar, placed himself near the scaffold, and seated himself in a chair prepared for that purpose. The chief inquisitor then descended from the amphitheater, dressed in his cope. And having a mitre on his head. Remember the mitre. Like so. Having a mitre on his head. That was the fish's mouth. Remember that? That's the mitre. By the way, that's what St. Nicholas wore. That's what that tall white. That tall red hat is with the ball on top that flops on the side of his head. It's the same thing as this. It just went through an evolutionary process. Now, uh, the kings of Spain obliged themselves to protect the Catholic faith, to extirpate heretics, to kill them, to get rid of them. The Mass was begun about 12 at noon and did not end until 9 in the evening. Long Mass, wasn't it? (coughs) Being protracted by a proclamation of the sentences of several criminals which were already separately rehearsed aloud one after the other. Hold on a second. Let me get a drink of water. I feel like the only way you'll hear this is if I read it. Most people won't buy the book and read it. After this followed the burnings of 21 men and women who were in trepidy and suffering that hard death was truly astonishing. The Inquisition beginning in Portugal is exactly upon a similar plan to that of Spain having been instituted much about the same time and put under the same regulations. The inquisitors allowed the torture to be used only three times but during those times it is severely inflicted that the prisoner either dies under it or continues always after a cripple 
and suffers the severest pains upon every change of weather. We shall give an ample description of the severe torments occasioned by the torture from the account of one who suffered of the three respective times but happily survived the cruelties he underwent. At the first time of torturing, six executioners entered, stripped him naked to his drawers, and laid him upon his back on a kind of stand elevated a few feet from the floor. The operation commenced by putting an iron collar around his neck. This is how they're going to correct error. And a ring on each foot then fastened him to a stand, his limbs being thus stretched out. They wounded, they wound two ropes around each thigh, which ropes being passed under the scaffold through holes made for that purpose, we all drew, we all drawn tight at the same instant time by four men on the given signal. It is easy to conceive that the pains which immediately succeeded were intolerable. The ropes, which were of a small size, cut through the prisoner's flesh to the bone, making the blood to gush out at eight different places, thus bound at the time. The second torture was as follows. They forced his arms backward so that the palms of his hands were turned outward behind him. In consequence, this violent contortion, both his shoulders became dislocated and a considerable quantity of blood issued from his mouth. This is what they had to go through if they would not partake of the sacrament of the Mass. This torture was repeated thrice, after which he was again taken to the dungeon and the surgeon relocated the bones and he was brought out the next day and they did it again. Two months after the second torture, the prisoner, being a little recovered, was again ordered to torture room and there, for a last time, made to undergo another kind of punishment which was inflicted twice without his permission. Now, let me turn the page here. On the 20th of December, they brought the said Nicholas Burton with a great number of other prisoners for professing the true Christian religion into the city of Seville, that's in Spain, to a place where the said inquisitors sat in judgment, which they called Otto with canvas coat, whereupon in divers parts was painted the figure of a huge devil painted upon the person, tormenting a soul in a flame of fire, and on his head a copping tank of the same work. His tongue was forced out of his mouth with a cloven stick fastened upon it that he should not utter his conscience and faith to the people. They didn't want him saying anything. And so he was set with another Englishman of the southern, of the Southampton, and divers or various 
other condemned men for religion, as well as Frenchmen as Spaniards upon a scaffold over against the said Inquisition. And immediately after the said sentence is given, they were carried from there to place of execution outside the city where they most cruelly burned them for whose constant faith God is praised. This Nicholas Burton, by the way, and in the flames of fire, had so cheerful a countenance, embracing death with all patience and gladness, that the tormentors and enemies which stood by said that the devil had his soul, because he was embracing death, before he came to the fire, and therefore they said his senses of feeling were past him. And all the, the all these goods and merchandises were seized and taken into the sequester where they were sequestered. Now, let me give you something else. I've got some of these marked. All right. There's so much in here. Dominicus, a learned soldier, having read several controversial writings, became a zealous Protestant and retired to Placentia. He preached the gospel in its utmost purity to a very considerate congregation. One day at the conclusion of his sermon, he said, If the congregation will attend tomorrow, I will give them a description of Antichrist and paint him out of this his proper colors. A vast concourse of people attended the next day, but just as Dominicus was beginning his sermon, a civil magistrate went up to the pulpit and took him into custody. He readily submitted, but as he went along with the magistrate, he made use of this expression, I wonder the devil hath let me alone this long. I wonder that the devil has let me. So he's calling them devils. When he was brought to examination, this question was put to him. Will you renounce your doctrines? To which he replied, My doctrines, I maintain no doctrines of my own. What I preach are the doctrines of Christ. And for those I will forfeit my blood and even think myself happy to suffer for the sake of my Redeemer. Every method was taken to make him recant his faith and embrace the errors of the Church of Rome. But when the persuasions and menaces were found ineffectual, he was sentenced to death and hanged in the marketplace. How's this for getting people to change their mind? Galatius, a Protestant gentleman who resided near the castle of St. Angelo, was apprehended on account of his faith. Great endeavors being used by his friends, he recanted and subscribed to several of the superstitious doctrines propagated by the Church of Rome. Here's one that recanted, but it doesn't stay recanted. 
Becoming, however, sensible of his error, he publicly renounced his incantation, his recantation. That means to to deny his Protestant beliefs. Being apprehended for this, he was condemned to be burnt and agreeable to the order was chained to a stake where he was left several hours before the fire was put to the faggots. The faggots were the limbs around the bottom of the of the pole where he was going to be, be burned in flames. In order that his wife, relatives, and friends who surrounded him might induce him to give up his opinions. Galatius, however, retained his constancy of mind and entreated the executioner to put fire to the wood that was to burn him. Put the fire there. Give me fire, he's saying. This at length he did, and Galatius was soon consumed in the flames which burnt which burnt amazingly rapidly and deprived him of sensation for a few minutes now. Things went on tolerably well after this for a few years, during which the Waldenses formed themselves into two corporate towns, annexing several villages to the jurisdiction of them. They ended up being millions of them. Cardinal Alexandrino, a man of very violent temper and furious bigot, together with two monks to Calabria, which is a town, where they were to act as inquisitors. These authorized persons came to St. Exist, X-I-S-T, it's a town, one of the towns built by the Waldenses. And having assembled the people, told them that they should receive no injury if they would accept of preachers appointed by the Pope, and if they would not, they would be deprived both of their property and lives, and that their intentions might be known. Mass should be publicly the Christ Mass. That's what Christmas is. And that afternoon at which they were ordered to attend, the people of St. Exist, the town, instead of attending Mass, fled into the woods with their families. And thus disappointed the Cardinal and his co-adjutors. The Cardinal then proceeded to Lagarde, the other town belonging to the Waldenses there not to be served as he had been at St. Exist, he ordered the gates to be locked and all avenues guarded. The same proposals were then made to the inhabitants of Lagarde, as had previously been offered to those of St. Exist. But with this additional piece of artifice, the cardinal assured them that the inhabitants of St. Exist had immediately come into his proposals and agreed that the Pope could appoint them preachers. This falsehood succeeded. He said they they were going to agree to what he said and become Catholics. For the people of Lagarde, thinking what the Cardinal had told them to be truth, said they would exactly follow the example of their brethren at St. Exist. The Cardinal, having gained 
this point by deluding the people of one town sent for troops of soldiers with a view to murder these those of the others and he accordingly dispatched the soldiers in the woods to hunt down the inhabitants of Satan exist like wild beasts and gave them strict orders to spare neither age nor sex but to kill all they came near the troops entered the woods and many fell prey to their ferocity before the Wallenses were properly apprised of their design. At length, however, they determined to sell their lives as dear as possible. Then several conflicts happened in which the half-armed Waldenses performed prodigies of valor. Many were slain on both sides. Now, I'm just reading to you. I I don't believe most people will take this book and read this much. Now, talking about the families of saint exist. Notwithstanding the promises on one side, menaces on the other, these worthy people unanimously refused to renounce their religion and embrace the heirs of popery and partake of the sacrament of the Mass. This exasperated the cardinal and viceroy so much that 30 of them were ordered to be put immediately to the rack. That's where they stretched their arms out, pulled their legs, and they're just stretched on a rack. As a terror to the rest, those who were put to the rack were treated with such severity that several died under the tortures. One charlin in particular, was so cruelly used that his belly burst. His bowels came out, and he expired in the greatest agonies. They told that one guy, they took him out into a pig pen, tied him down on his back, put him like this on his back. They cut his belly open, poured corn into it, and turn turn the pigs in on him. They did that for being a Christian. Do you think we have it hard in this nation? It's easier to be a Christian today than back then. If you were a Christian, then the Catholic Church would kill you. The four principal men of Lagarde were hanged. The clergymen were thrown from the top of the church steeple. He was terribly mangled but not quite killed by the fall, at which time the viceroy passing by said, Is the dog yet living? Take him up and give him to the hogs. When brutal as this sentence may appear, it was executed accordingly. They did exactly what the viceroy said. Sixty women were racked so violently that the cords pierced their arms and legs close to the bone. When being remanded to the prison, their wounds mortified, and they died in the most miserable manner. Why do you think the Puritans outlawed Christ's Mass in early America and Ishtar? I'll read some more. How much time do I have, Mike? I'm going to read some more. I just think this is... I don't believe most people buy the book, Fox's Book of Martyrs, and read it. 
Holly started reading. She said, I can't read anymore. It's so hard. It goes explicitly into how they tortured them, peeling the skin off their bones, just punching them with deep, uh, sharp probes and doing all kinds of things. They would put a band around their head and tighten it up until their eyes would pop out. That's for being a Christian during these inquisitions. And you think we're supposed to be doing Christmas? John MacArthur, what's wrong with you? If any Roman Catholic more compassionate than the rest interceded for any of the Reformed, he was immediately apprehended and shared the same fate as a favor of heretics. If a Roman Catholic felt sorry for him and expressed that, they'd take him and put him in there too. There was not a single person of the Reformed religion left living in all of Calabria. Talks about the... Let me read on here. This is page of the book. It's got four mentions of the Waldenses. If the Waldenses... The, a consultation was now held by the Parliament of Turin. I'm sure that's where the Shroud of Turin came from. In which it was agreed to send deputies to the valleys of Piedmont where the where all these Waldenses were, following propositions. Here's the proposition they give to the Waldenses. That if the Waldenses would come to the bosom of the Catholic Church of Rome and embrace the Roman Catholic religion, they should enjoy their houses, properties, and lands and live with their families without the least molestation. That to prove their obedience, they should send twelve of their principal persons with all their ministers and schoolmasters to turn to be dealt with at discretion. That the Pope, the King of France, and the Duke of Savoy approved of and authorized the proceedings of the Parliament of Turin upon this occasion. That if the Waldenses of the Valleys of Piedmont refused to comply with these propositions, persecution should ensue and certain death by their portion. You either got along with Catholics or you died. That's There's no other choice. In the book, All Roads Lead to Rome, it will tell you that the Catholics, as they're rising, is like a lamb. When they're over all, they're like a devouring lion. And then it talks about the Waldenses. To each proposition, the Waldenses nobly replied in following manner, answering respectively, there is no considerations whatsoever should make them renounce their religion. They're saying, nothing will make us renounce. That they would never consent to commit their best and most respectable friends to the custody and discretion of their worst and most inveterate enemies. That they valued their approbation of the king of kings who reigns in heaven, not the king of France, not the pope more than any temporal authority, that their souls were more precious than their bodies.
Do you feel that way? They then solicited a considerable body of troops of the King of France. You know that France is a Roman Catholic nation. Italy is a Roman Catholic nation. They the considerable body of troops of the King of France in order to exterminate the Reformed, the people who believe truth, entirely from the Valley of Piedmont where the Wallenses live. But just as the troops were going to march, the Protestant princes of Germany interposed and threatened to send troops to assist the Wallenses if they should be attacked. The King of France not caring to enter into war, remained, remanded the troops and sent, sent word to Parliament of Turin that he would not spare any troops at present to act in Piedmont. Now, let me give you something else. Stung by this reflection and unwilling to be represented to the Pope, the Duke determined to act with greatest severity and future cruelty. He accordingly issued express orders for all the Waldenses to attend Mass regularly on the pain of death. If you didn't go to Mass, you died. That's what Christ's Mass is. It's the customs of the heathen. This is absolutely refused to do on which he entered the Piedmont Tees Valleys with a formidable body of troops and began most furious persecution in which great numbers were hanged, drowned, ripped open, that ripped the bellies of the pregnant women open and killed them. Tied to trees, pierced with prongs, thrown from precipices, burnt, stabbed, racked to death, why do you think they outlawed Christmas? This right here. Some Roman Catholic ruffians have seized a minister as he was going to preach, determined to take him to a convenient place and burn him. His parishioners, having intelligence of this affair, and men armed themselves, pursued the ruffians, seemed determined to rescue their ministers. They would employ thugs in the street to do their work. And leaving him weltering in his blood made a precipitate retreat. The astonished parishioners did all they could to recover him, but in vain, for the weapons had touched the vital parts, and he expired as they were carrying him home. The monks of Pignoral having a great inclination to get the minister of a town in the valleys called St. Germain into this power, hired a band of ruffians for the purpose of apprehending him. These fellows were conducted by a treacherous person who had formerly been a servant to the clergyman and who perfectly well knew a secret way to the house by which he could lead them without alarming the neighborhood. The guide knocked at the door and being asked who was there, answered in his own name. The clergyman, not expecting any injury from a person on whom he had leaped, heaped favors, immediately opened the door, but 
perceiving the ruffians, he started back and fled to the back door, and they rushed in, followed and seized this preacher, having murdered all his family, that made him proceed forwards, Pignorol, goading him all the way with pikes, lances, swords, punching him deep into his body. He was kept a considerable time in prison and then fastened to the stake to be burnt when two women of the Waldenses, who had renounced their religion to save their lives, were ordered to carry faggots to the stake to burn him as they laid them down to say, Take these, thou wicked heretic, and recompense. See, they had been on the side of the believers, and then they recanted. They were told to say these words, Take thou wicked heretic, and recompense for pernicious doctrines that thou taught us. These words they both repeated to him, which he calmly replied, I formerly taught you well, but you have soon learned ill. The fire was then put to the faggots, and he was speedily consumed, calling upon the name of the Lord as long as his voice permitted. i got to read to you about this young man. I've told you about. I've told you about him. I've got it in here somewhere. I want to read to you about this young guy. He was so filled with the strength of God. I've got so much marked in this book. Get the Fox's Book of Martyrs. It's worth reading. It'll let you know why they said we're not going to have any mass in America. Let me see if I can find it here. Here it is. William Hunter had been trained to the doctrines of Reformation from his earliest youth. Being descended from religious parents who carefully instructed him in the principles of true religion. Hunter, then 19 years of age, refusing to receive the communion of Mass, was threatened to be brought before the bishop to whom this valiant young martyr was conducted by a constable. Whom this valiant, he was conducted by a constable. Bonner caused William to be brought into a chamber where he began to reason with him, promising him security and pardon if he would recant, deny his Christian beliefs. This is what you had to go through in the 1200s, 1300s, 1400s, 1500s, if you believe truth. He had to suffer at the hands of these inquisitors. Nay, he would have been content if he would have gone only to receive and to confession. But William would not do so for all the world. This is William Hunter, a 19-year-old boy. Upon this, the bishop commanded his men to put William in the stocks in his gatehouse, where he sat two days and nights with a crust of brown bread and a cup of water only, which he did not touch. At the two days' end, the bishop came to him, finding him steadfast in the faith. We're talking about 19 years old. 
sent him to the convict prison and commanded this keeper to lay irons upon him as may as many as he could bear. He continued in prison three quarters of a year, during which time he had been before the bishop five times besides the time where he was condemned in the consistory in St. Paul's, February the 9th, at which time his brother, Robert Hunter, was present. Then the bishop calling William, this is the head honcho of the Catholic Church in that area, the bishop calling William asked him if he would recant, and finding he was unchangeable, pronounced sentence upon him that he would go from that palace to Newgate for a time and thence to Brentwood and there to be burned. They burned him at the stake. About a month afterward, William was sent down to Brentwood where he was was to be executed. On coming to the stake, he knelt down and read the 51st Psalm until he came to these words, the sacrifices of God are broken in a contrite spirit. O God, thou wilt not despise. Steadfast in refusing of the queen's pardon, if he would become apostate, at length one Richard, one Richard Pond of bailiff came and made the claim the chain fast about him. William now cast his psalter into his brother's hand, who said, William, think on the holy passion of Christ and be not afraid of death. Behold, answered William, I am not afraid. Then he lifted up his hand to heaven and said, Lord, 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 receive my spirit. He's 19 and casting down his head again in the smothering smoke, he yielded up his life for the truth and sealing it with his blood to the praise of God. How would you like to be a Christian back then? It's easy to be a Christian in this slushy world we live in, unless you live in a foreign country where they'll kill you for it. I'll read you something else. Do I have any time, Mike? I'll read you one other thing here. A young Englishman who happened to be at Rome was one day passing by a church when the procession of the host, the cracker, they're holding it on a platform. They call it the Eucharist and they say it's within it's the body and blood of Christ. The possession of the host was coming out. A bishop carrying the host, which the young man perceiving, he snatched it from him, threw it upon the ground, and trampled it under his feet, crying out, You wretched idolaters! Would you have the guts to do that? He knew he was going to die for it. You wretched idolaters who neglect the true God to adore a morsel of bread. They worship the Eucharist. 
This action so provoked the people that they would have torn him to pieces on the spot. But the priests persuaded them to let him abide by the sentence of the Pope. When the affair was represented to the Pope, he was so greatly exasperated that he ordered the prisoner to be burnt immediately. But a cardinal dissuaded him from his hasty sentence, saying that it was better to punish him by slow degrees. Let's torture him. And to torture him that they might find out if he had been instigated by any particular person to commit so atrocious an act. This being approved, he was tortured with the most exemplary severity, notwithstanding which they could only get these words from him. It was the will of God that I should do as I did. That's all he would say. The Pope then passed this sentence upon him, that he should be led by the executioner naked to the middle through the streets of Rome, that he should wear the image of the devil upon his head, and that his breeches should be painted with the representation of flames, that he should have his right hand cut off, the one that grabbed the Eucharist and threw it to the ground, that after having been carried about thus in possession, he should be burnt. When he heard this sentence pronounced, he implored God to give him strength and fortitude to go through it. As he passed through the streets, he was greatly derided by the people to whom he said some severe things respecting Romish superstition. But a cardinal who attended the procession overhearing him ordered him to be gagged. And when he... See, they don't even want to hear you say truth. And when he came to the church door where he trampled on the host, the hangman cut off his right hand and fixed it on a pole, then two tormentors with flaming torches scorched and burnt his flesh all the rest of the way. They're touching the torch to his body. At the place of execution, he kissed the chains that were to bind him to the stake. A monk presenting the figure of a saint to him, he struck it aside. And then being chained to the stake, fire was put to the faggots, and he was soon burned to ashes. A little after the last-mentioned execution, a venerable old man, who had long been a prisoner in the Inquisition, was condemned to be burnt and brought out for execution. When he was fastened to a stake, a priest held a crucifix to him. That's a cross with Christ on it. He's not resurrected. That's Roman Catholic. On which he said, If you do not take that idol from my sight, you will constrain me to spit upon it. The priest rebuked him for this with great severity, but he bade him remember the first and second commandments and refrain from idolatry as God himself had commanded. He was then gagged that he should not speak any more, and fire being put to the faggots, he suffered martyrdom in the flames. They set him on fire. 
I wish I could read everything in the book to you. They tell you about how they would take a woman and cut her breast off, cut her arms off, run a stake up her bottom, set her out in the field, and let her languish until she died. Why do you think the Puritans outlawed Christmas and Easter? Because of this. I can't believe. Do I have any time, Mike? I'll read a couple of more. I'm reading today because I don't believe everybody will get these books and read them. Get Fox's Book of Martyrs and read through it. It's a lot more than I'm giving you today. A lot more. In the towns of Valerio and Bovia, most of those who refuse to go to Mass, Christ Mass, let's put it that way, were upwards of 15 years of age. They were crucified with their heads downward. And the greatest number of those who were under that age were strangled. Sarah Rastoganoli Desvigenes, a woman of 60 years of age, being seized by some soldiers, they ordered her to say a prayer to some saints, which she refused. They thrust a sickle into her belly, ripping her up, then cut off her head. That's what you suffered in England and Europe back in the 12 and 13, 14, 1500s for being a believer. What we suffer in America is not much. Are you ready to die like these people ready to die? If you have nothing to live for, they say, we're going to take away all your property, everything you got and kill you if you don't convert to Catholicism. Two old women were ripped open then left in the fields upon the snow where they perished. A very old woman who was deformed had her nose and hands cut off and was left to bleed to death in that manner. A great number of men, women, and children were flung from the rocks and dashed to pieces. Magdalene Bertino, a Protestant woman of Latoria, was stripped stark naked, her head tied between her legs and thrown down out of one of the precipices. And Mary Ramonst of the same town had flesh sliced from her, sliced from her bones until she expired. They just kept cutting it off. Magdalene Pilate of Valerio was cut to pieces in the cave of Castellos. And Carbonari had one end of a stake thrust up her body and the other being fixed to the ground, she was left in that manner to perish. These people were cruel. The Catholic Church was very wicked. It still is. It's still the same system. Magdalene, the daughter of Peter Fontaine, a beautiful child of ten years old, was ravished and murdered by the soldiers. The Pope had soldiers. That's what those Swiss guards are that you see them with the big puffy pants at Christmas time and they're guarding the Pope. They were real super fighters in the ancient world. This girl was ravished and murdered by the soldiers. She's only ten. 
Another girl of about the same age, they roasted alive at Villanova, and a poor woman hearing that the soldiers were coming toward her house snatched up the cradle in which her infant son was asleep and fled toward the woods. The soldiers, however, saw and pursued her when she lighted herself by putting down the cradle and child, which the soldiers no sooner came to than they murdered the infant and continuing the pursuit found the mother in a cave where they first ravished and then cut her to pieces. Why did the Puritans outlaw Christmas in America? You read Fox's Book of Martyrs, and that's not hard to understand. And people want to get mad at you for saying Christmas is paganism. I swear, I can't believe the world. Jacob Baroni, a schoolmaster at Rorada, for refusing to change his religion, was stripped quite naked, and after having been very indecently exposed, had the nails of his toes and fingers torn off with red-hot pinchers and holes bored through his hands with the point of a dagger. He then had a cord tied round his middle and was led through the streets with a soldier on each side of him. At every turning, the soldier on his right hand on his right hand side cut a gash in his flesh and the soldier on the left side struck side struck him with a bludgeon both saying at the same instant will you go to mass will you go to mass he still replied in the negative that these interrogatories and being at length taken to the bridge they cut off his head on the balustrade and threw both that and his body into the river. Paul Garnier, a very pious Protestant, had his eyes put out, was then flayed alive, and being divided into four parts, his quarters were placed on four principal houses of Lucerne. He bore all his sufferings with a most exemplary patience, praised God as long as he could speak. David Cardone of Rocapita being attended by some soldiers they cut his head off having fried his brains ate them two poor old blind women of St. Giovanni were burned alive and a widow of Latore with her daughter were driven into the river and they're, st- they're stoned to death Paul Giles, on attempting to run away from soldiers, was shot in the neck. Then they slit his nose, sliced his chin, stabbed him, and gave his carcass to the dogs. This is what people suffered for being a Christian at the mass time. Michael Gonnett, a man of 90, was burnt to death. Batista Udry, another man, was stabbed. Bartholomew Frasche was had holes made in his heels through which ropes were put through. Then he was dragged by them to jail where his wounds mortified and killed him. Magdalene de la Pierre being pursued 
by some of the soldiers and taken, was thrown down a precipice and dashed to pieces. Margaret Ravella and Mary Praveline, two very old women, were burnt alive, and Michael Bellina and Aaron or Anne Bacodo were beheaded. Cynthia Bustia, being asked if she would renounce her religion, turned Roman Catholic, replied, I would rather renounce life or turn dog than go Roman Catholic. To which the priest answered, For that expression you shall both renounce life and be given to the dogs. They accordingly dragged him to prison where he continued a considerable time with tenor of his life and conduct. There's so much in this book. It's hard to read. And going to a place of execution, this Jerome sang hymns. When he came to the spot where he was which was the same where Huss, Huss was one of the Puritan men of the of the of the uh, of the rebellion that that was started by against Rome. He embraced the stake with great cheerfulness. When they went behind him to set fire to the faggots, he said, Come here and kindle it before my eyes. For if I had been afraid of it, I had not come to this place. The fire being kindled, he sang a hymn, but soon was interrupted by the flames. And the last words he was heard to say was these, This soul of flame, this soul in flames I offer Christ to thee. Am I out of time? Yeah. I just thought I'd read some of that to y'all today. Because I don't think people, I never had anybody tell me they bought the books and read it. That's just a little bit of Fox's Book of Martyrs. I can see how if you're not ready for something gory, you're not going to want to read it. It's very disturbing. That's what you had to be. That's what you had to go through if you were a Christian. They did much more than what I've been saying. Much more. They were cruel. Very cruel. And they killed without any mercy. Let's pray. Father, thank you for truth. Lord, I hope the reading of these words from the Fox's Book of Martyrs will stir some of the people, make them realize we don't have to suffer anything compared to what our forefathers had to suffer. Fight our battles. Give us strength to undergo persecution. God will praise you for everything. Give you glory for it all, good and bad. In Christ's name we pray, amen. I hope y'all can put up with me reading to you because I just came to the realization I just don't believe people will buy some of these books and read them. I haven't. Huh? I haven't. You have the... I haven't read it. I listened to it. I'll tell you, man, it's it's, it's gory. Listening to it was enough. Huh? I listened to the book. 
audio the audio book version. I listened to it. It's very, very it's very disturbing, isn't it? Yes, it is. 